0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Um, Today we're going to be speaking about um, measuring our spiritual growth. We talk a lot about spiritual growth and about the spiritual practices that we should be doing, like prayer and fasting and reading and so on. Um, But every once in a while, it's good to kind of like assess our spiritual progress and see kind of where we are and how things have been changing over time. Um, There's also a pitfall to this, because sometimes if we um, try to Um, look at our spiritual growth too often like on a daily basis or a weekly basis or even on a yearly basis sometimes it might be too too often too frequent Um, and we don't really see the trend we just kind of see the noise you know because maybe even in a given week there are some days where I feel like I'm have more zeal and more energy than others Um, and so if we try to look at it too short a range maybe we won't get an accurate picture But if we look at ourselves, let's say, how were things five years ago, how things were 10 years ago, and looking at myself today, um, we can try to assess whether we're moving in the right direction um, or not, uh, or in the wrong direction. In Psalm 92, it says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. And this is what we are um, called for, um, that we, we flourish and we grow and even in old age we are bearing fruit and we see those people who are uh, maybe been in the church for a very long time and are, are elders, um, we can see in them a kind of faith and uh, constancy and, and patience and, and resilience that maybe we, we look up to them and we say um, we want to have this. And so this is the fruit of a life of spiritual struggle. Um, and so to, to look at ourselves and see, okay, maybe our, our, our is, where, is what I'm doing working? Is what I'm doing, am I on the right track um, or not? So I want to speak about, uh, I believe it's 10 points, 10 points uh, of uh, how we can measure uh, our spiritual growth. The first is um, a hunger to know God and his truth on an intimate level. And Psalm 119, it says, "I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments." Maybe when we start doing something that's good, uh, we we do it out of um, out of discipline. We we do it because we know it's right to be done. Um, but at some point, um, it should it should move from being maybe painful and difficult to do to something being more enjoyable, something we look forward to do. When he says, "I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed." Right, I long for your commandments. Maybe when we look at the commandments of God we don't really think like I'm longing for the commandments. Um, maybe we think of, Okay, I have to follow the commandments and if I don't follow the commandments there is some some consequence. And yes, maybe we acknowledge the commandments are good, but we find ourselves struggling to follow them, and we don't really look at them necessarily and enjoy, but more like we are we are doing it by compulsion, right? So one measure of spiritual growth is That over time we begin to have a desire for God. I might have mentioned one time like the story of of this uh, boy who had this disease where he didn't experience any hunger Uh, and so he wouldn't want to eat so every so every day he of course he has to eat so he would have to be forced to eat and his parents would force him to eat or he would have to have certain times of day where where he knows now is the time to eat food And so he would eat because he had to. And he had no joy in eating because he didn't enjoy. Like, you know, the only reason we enjoy food is because it satisfies a hunger, right? And so if we didn't have the hunger, then, you know, just like when you try to eat when you're not, when you're full, like it's not enjoyable. It's something you kind of force yourself to do. It doesn't feel good. So, of course, this, this boy with this disease, this is, you know, the struggle that he had with the physical food. But this is the struggle that we all have spiritually, Like, our problem is that we are not hungering for the spiritual food. And because we don't have a hunger for it, when we do the spiritual works, when we consume the spiritual food, um, it almost seems like a chore, rather than it being something that is refreshing and joyful and something that we look forward to, just like you would look forward to going out to eat a restaurant when you're very hungry, right? So, So this idea of developing hunger, this is what we're missing. We need to develop the hunger itself, so that once we have the hunger then we know where to be filled, right? And we go to God not as just out of discipline, but we go to God really out of joy. Um, It's not wrong to do it out of discipline. Of course, this is how we learn and how we start out and and where where we all may be. But at least looking forward, the goal should be, how can I start to look forward to this and enjoy spending time with God, not simply doing it only out of um, a discipline? Um, the second way to measure our spiritual growth is that we should have an increasing awareness of sin and the desire for repentance. You know, we pray in the in Egbeya, the, um, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and a new or steadfast spirit within me. We're asking God to clean us, right? And the reason we ask God to clean us is because we feel the, and are aware of our own sin. People might think that as you progress spiritually, that you become more holy and righteous, and so there is less sin. But actually, when when you're becoming more righteous, you are more aware of sin. You're more aware of the reality of sin because the things that used to be something that would kind of pass under the radar that you wouldn't even notice or care or try to be careful not to do um, – you know, now all of a sudden, it's something that really pricks your conscience. Something that used to never prick your conscience at all. You know, so so it's, it's, um, it's, it's not the case that as we mature spiritually that there is less sin. But actually we are aware of more sin. It's kind of like if you have a large blanket that has all kinds of stains on it. Some stains very big, some stains smaller, right? When you first look at it, you're probably going to notice the biggest stains. Those are the ones that are going to kind of pop out that you're going to perceive and then you wash the you wash the blanket not all the stains come out but maybe the biggest ones come out and now you start to notice the smaller ones the ones that were there all along the, the little speckles of stains they were there all along but you never you never really paid attention to them because all the focus was on the big you know and maybe even when we go to confess the things that we're confessing tend to be the big things, right? They're the things that pop out in my mind, the large things that I struggle with. It's not to say that those are my only sins, but those are the ones that I'm always thinking about and aware of. And if we were to overcome those sins, we would then like open a whole new world of all kinds of other things that maybe we had never thought of before. You know, maybe things like gossiping or maybe the thin the sins of my thoughts that I don't really pay attention to because my focus has been more about the external actions, right? How is it that I treat other people? But but if I look at my own thoughts and to say that just as Christ said, that even to think like uh, adulterous thoughts, for instance, would be adultery, like what are what are the contents of my thoughts? It's, it's a different level, right? It's always been there, but it never really bothered us before. But now we're starting to have a more increasing awareness of sin and the desire to repent. This is actually a sign um, of spiritual growth. The third measure of spiritual growth is a greater reliance on the Holy Spirit. In Zechariah 4.6, it says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Um, Someone who is um, not very spiritually mature, whenever they face kind of problems and struggles in their life, their first instinct is, Um, This is all on my shoulders, right? This is something that I have to take care of. This is something that is my problem to fix. And maybe we only go to God when we've exhausted every other um, option. He is like the last resort. He is the one that we go to whenever um, we've tried everything else. We've tried it ourselves. Maybe we've called other people, friends, acquaintances, other people that we think can solve the problem for us. We've called them. We, we, we've we tried everything. Maybe we've even tried sinful methods of trying to solve our problem by cheating or lying or, or, or anything that we can do to stop or just to fix the problem that we have. And the last thing that I think of maybe is, um, okay, let me go to God now. Because I've tried everything else and it hasn't worked. And maybe even when, you know, uh, when when we're seeking guidance and someone says, well, pray about it. Maybe we think that's kind of just like something that people say. People just say that, you know, whenever there's nothing else that can be done. It's kind of like saying it's hopeless. You know, there's nothing can be done by praying about it. And so we're not necessarily take seriously the power of the prayer and the reliance on the Holy Spirit, like reliance on God in order to solve things, in order to work in us. And again, even if the the problem itself is not solved um, the way we would like, but at least to give us peace and patience and contentment to wait while the problem is being solved, while we are waiting for it to be solved. And so this reliance on the Holy Spirit is another sign, a measure that we are growing spiritually. And oftentimes it comes um, from an experience of powerlessness. Like what causes us to, to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit? Well, we have to be put in places and positions where we cannot rely on ourselves because there's nothing we can do. And then the only thing left to do is to watch and see how God is able to work, how he's able to engineer things, arrange things, work in, in unexpected ways to solve problems in ways we couldn't have done ourselves. And that's how we grow in faith. And one of the reasons that God even allows trials in our life is to give us a chance to watch him fix them. And that's how we grow in faith. And so oftentimes when we desire a life that is, you know, very comfortable, that doesn't have any problems or struggles, which of course that's what we would all choose. If we had the choice, we would choose that life. We wouldn't choose a life that is filled with struggle. But one of the reasons that God allows us to have the struggle is because he wants us to learn to grow in faith and reliance on him rather than to rely on ourselves. So that's another measure of our spiritual growth is relying on the Holy Spirit. The fourth measure of our spiritual growth is a desire to be used by God on a daily basis. In 2 Timothy 2.21, it says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master prepared for every good work. And so we ask ourselves, do I want to be a servant of God or not? You know, it sounds nice, like when, when we're told, like, do you want to serve God? Everyone will say, yes, I want to serve God. Like, what is a servant? A servant is a person who does what they're told even when they don't want to do it. That is a servant, right? We think like, like, like a human being who's a servant. What is he? There is a master who controls his will and says, this is what you will do. And this is what you will not do. And put constraints on him and tells him that he has to live a certain way. And, 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 and that his role is defined according to the service that he, is, that he is called to do. That is what a servant is. So a servant is someone who is a tool in the hands of God. And maybe we ask ourselves, do we want to be that? You know, do I want to be a tool in the hands of God? No, I want to be a master of my own life. I, I want to decide for myself where it is that I go and what it is that I do and who I spend my time with and, and all of that, right? And it's not to say that God doesn't grant us free will to choose many things, but there are certain things that he calls us for and, he, and, and, and his purpose for us is to live a certain type of life. right? And that could be the general calling for all Christians. Like, you know, we are all called to live a virtuous life. We're called to stay away from sin. We're called to uh, live with a kind of asceticism and self-discipline, right? This is part of us being honed as tools in the hands of God. And then there's also the specific calling that each of us are, is called to according to the talents and the gifts that God has given us that he wants us to live, right? So in all these gifts that God gives us and these callings that God calls us for, the question is, is do I want this or not? And what is it that I have to sacrifice in order to succeed in such a life? A person who uh, is going to hone their skills in some area, a person who's going to use their, their skills as, and to be a tool in the hands of God means you have to surrender. You have to surrender part of what you want um, so that God can send you where he wants you to be, so he can give you whatever he wants you to have. So for instance, if a person has a cross that they're carrying, let's say a person has um, a child who is born with a disability, okay? And that parent now has a cross that they have to carry in their life, which is how to serve this child that has this disability, right? And so I am a tool in the hand of God Right in in how I serve this child and how I give up and sacrifice for the sake of this child. And it's not something that is easy by any means to do, but it is what God has called me for. He has given me this cross to carry. There are many, many crosses, many things that we wish were different in our life that God calls us to carry and that we we, we gain and benefit somehow and we glorify him somehow. You look at the example of the man born blind. The man born blind remained blind his entire life. For one purpose, and that was to glorify God in the miracle of him being restored his sight. Because when the apostles were asking Christ, why is it that this man was born blind? He said, this man was born blind so that God could be glorified in him. How? Because now Jesus was about to heal him of his blindness. And of course, this would be recorded in scripture and all the people would see the power of Christ in this miracle. So all his life, he was blind and he didn't know why he was blind. There was no reason that he could come up with or to think to understand what is the purpose of this until that day where everything that he had lived up until that point became clear and he fulfilled his purpose. He was a tool in the hand of God. But during his life, was he complaining? Was he grumbling? Was he angry at God? Did he feel sorry for himself? You know, all of these things, right, prevent us from being tools in the hands of God. Grumbling against our calling is something that, um, that prevents us from being tools or grumbling against the cross that we are called to share. So the success of the church is something that requires all of us to, f- to, to live up to the calling that we were called and to care about the success of the church, to care about sacrificing of myself, sacrificing of my personal success in order to give to the body. Um, and so definitely a desire to be used by God as a tool in his hand, this is a measure of our spiritual growth. Maybe before it wasn't my interest. Before it was something that All I cared about was to live my life for myself and to desire to use my skills and my talents and my gifts for myself, for my own benefit. Um, But then at some point, I began to feel like, no, I need to offer myself to God. Just as he offered himself for me and sacrificed himself for me, I need to offer myself to God. And this is a measure of our growth spiritually. Um, Number five. Uh, Having a desire to... um Having a desire to obey God, regardless of the situation or the outcome. Um, in one Samuel twenty four six, it speaks about when King David um, was was um, um, like was told that he should kill Saul. Like when he found Saul um, in a cave, and while he was hiding, what King David was hiding in the cave, and at this point, Saul was trying to kill David, but it just so happened that by God's providence, David was hiding in this cave and Saul was there and Saul didn't know that he was there. So King David had the opportunity to kill Saul, who had been chasing after him, wanting to kill him now for some time. And so the men who were with King David told him, this is your chance. Like God has delivered him into your hand. Now is the time for you to go and rise up and kill Saul, who is your enemy. So this is what he said. He said, and he said to his men, "The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord." So in this moment, King David could have very well justified and said, "Yes, this is maybe God's will that I would kill him, because he brought him to me in this very vulnerable place, um, and and you know I haven't done anything wrong to deserve to to be killed." And King David at this point has already been anointed king, so he knows that he is going to be king after King Saul. And he knows that King Saul has been rejected as king by God. So he could have justified in many different ways um, why killing him was the best course of action. And of course, it would make his own life easier because he wouldn't have to keep running for his life. Um, But he didn't. He said, no, he is the anointed of the Lord. King Saul is the anointed of the Lord, and so I cannot touch him. I cannot, I cannot kill him. I cannot harm him in any way. And then actually later on, any time that anyone tried to do harm to King Saul or to his family, King David actually would kill them. He would say, no, do not touch him. How can you do this to the, the anointed of the Lord? And he actually protected his, own fa- his fa- the family of Saul after he became king. So this desire to be obedient to God, regardless of personal Sacrifice, regardless of the outcome, regardless of how much I suffer as a result, obeying God is more important to me than my personal comfort. More important to me than anything, right? This is a sign of spiritual growth. Being willing to suffer for the sake of Christ, and that could include inconvenience for the sake of Christ. Like, for instance, um, when we speak about like fasting, sometimes fasting is very inconvenient, especially like if we are in places where it's very difficult to eat certain foods that we can eat, right? Um, some people will say, you know what, it doesn't matter if it's inconvenient or not. Like, actually, the more inconvenient it is, the more blessing there is in it. Um, or to be ridiculed, to be to be ridiculed because of what we believe, or to be rejected because of what we believe. Um, to sacrifice things that we would want to do um, for the sake of Christ, because they are um, ungodly, because they are unbefitting of a, of a believer. All of these things, all of the sufferings that we experience um, as a result of the of the, of the high moral standard that we are called for, right? The, the, the high level of obedience that we are called for, but I want to do it more than anything, regardless of what I what I believe. Uh, or sorry, regardless of, of the situation, regardless of, of how I suffer as a result. So this is, again, is a measure of my spiritual growth, right? Um, how much do I care about obedience versus how much do I sacrifice obedience and compromise obedience for the sake of my personal comfort and convenience? Um, number six. Uh, uh, an increasing faith in hebrews 11 6 it says but without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to god must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him so this increasing faith that we increase in our faith meaning that over time we believe and trust the, the word of god more and more um, maybe at the beginning uh, we, we we have doubts because we don't yet have experience with the god But the more we experience God and his faithfulness, the more we experience how every time that we are in trouble, he comes to our aid. The more we see how God is able to do the impossible, the more we see that God keeps his promises. All of these things that we see and experience in our life help us to develop a deeper and deeper faith. Until the point where maybe we, we are not even shaken when we are facing very difficult situations because we trust completely that God is in control. Um, You know a good example of this is Moses because Moses was a a very dynamic character that we read about in the Bible And we see big changes happen in his life over the course of his ministry um, And being a prophet and how at the very beginning when God called him to go to Egypt and to to tell Pharaoh to let the people go He was very hesitant to go. He said i'm not eloquent in speech. I'm slow of tongue. I cannot speak I don't know what to do send someone else and he, he kept trying to get out of it but then, when you get to the point where, after all of that and all the ten plagues that happen, and now the the people are at the border of the Red Sea, and uh, Pharaoh and his armies are coming to destroy them, and all the people are afraid and are grumbling against God because they're saying God brought us out here only to kill us. Well, now that Pharaoh is about to attack us because we're trapped, we can't go anywhere. You see Moses say, "Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord." Like, like his his answer was, "No," like we believe. I believe. That now, having gone through all of this, that God is able to save us, even though he had no idea how. Like, he could not have conceived or thought that God was going to part the Red Sea. Like, that probably wasn't something in his mind um, to say, yeah, yeah, he's going to part the Red Sea, and we're going to go through. He didn't know, right? He didn't know. But he believed that the God who brought them out this far, who promised that they would become a nation, who promised that he would uh, free them from Egypt, that somehow he was going to do it, right? Also, Abraham... You know, Abraham, God had promised him a son and that, that son would be Isaac in his old age. And he eventually got the son and that he, through Isaac, that he would become the father of many nations. So Isaac, when he was still 14 years old, God tells him, I want you to go sacrifice Isaac um, and slaughter him. And so Abraham didn't even hesitate. He said, OK. Uh, and, he, and he went and, and he took Isaac and he put him on an altar and he lifted the knife in order to kill him. And even Isaac asked his father while they were going to the mountain for him to be is where's the sacrifice where's the sacrifice that that's going to be sacrificed and abraham said god will provide the sacrifice like he had no idea what was going to happen all he knows is that god told him to sacrifice his son and that suddenly didn't even make any sense and and we we don't even see abraham questioning like why are you asking me to do this how can you ask me to do this when Um, You told me that he was going to be the son of promise or he's going to be the one who was going to continue my lineage and that I'm going to be a father of many nations. How is it possible that you're asking me to sacrifice him? Abraham didn't even question. He just said God will provide the sacrifice. We'll just trust what he says. And I trust and believe that in the end, like he knows what he's doing. And sure enough, he got to the point where he even lifted the knife you know he he didn't tell him when he got to the mountain he didn't tell him when he got to the altar he didn't tell him when he started to tie isaac on the altar he he told him when he lifted the knife and it was like the last final moment before that that he would have slaughtered him and then he said no stop right and this is again like testing the faith of abraham but you can see that the faith of this man who who over time his faith grew and it wasn't always this way right his faith grew so we see that I- in our life, our faith is dynamic. It's something that grows over time. And one of the ways we measure our spiritual growth is we ask ourselves, is my faith actually increasing? You know, Do I, do I believe and trust in the word of God more now than I did five years ago, more than I did ten years ago? Um, or maybe the opposite, maybe I trust less. Um, number seven, um, measuring our spiritual growth by placing more emphasis on things with eternal value. Matthew six twenty says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So he's saying trust on the things that are eternal. Trust in the things that are spiritual and value those things that are spiritual more than the value the things that are physical. And this is difficult for us because we have five senses and they tell us about the world and we perceive the world around us. And we look around us and we say, this is reality. This is our reality and we, we understand the things that are valuable here in the world. But how much do we see with with our, you know, with, with, with a spiritual sense, how much do we see the invisible life, right, the spiritual life, and believe that it is there and believe that it is even more real than this life that we have and to believe that everything we see around us will one day cease to exist. And the only thing that will abide and remain is the eternal life right? The, the spiritual life the one that is much more difficult for us to perceive right now and that our physical senses are not able to really help us to see um, so one of the measures of our spiritual growth is that we de-emphasize the value of the things in the world more and more and more whether it be money or other attachments or goals and desires in the world or physical pleasures All of these things become less and less and less valuable to me because I begin to focus more and more on the things with eternal value, the things that are really valuable, the things that are really treasure, right? Not on the things that are are, are perishing, the things that are going to be burnt up, the things that I can't take with me. Those things are less valuable, and the things that are more valuable are the things that are eternal. This is a big, big uh, measure of our spiritual growth. And you see the people who emphasize prayer, the people who emphasize the sacraments, the people who emphasize um, obeying God even when it's difficult or it doesn't make sense. Why? Because they're placing more emphasis on the things with the eternal value. They're looking at their salvation and they say, I want to secure my place in heaven. I want to have the best place there. I'm thinking about my heavenly home rather than my earthly home, right? And so, again, this is th- the mindset is... This world is nothing. It is coming to nothing. And so we focus on something greater than this world. (coughs) A hunger for private prayer and communication with God. In Ephesians 6.18, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication and the Spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So we all like to talk to each other, right? And we have close friends and we enjoy talking to them maybe for hours and hours every day, that we enjoy talking to each other. Um, But then when it comes time to talk to God, maybe we um, barely can do it for a few minutes, or we feel like we don't do it at all. Why is that? And again, it goes back to that idea of hunger, right? We enjoy the companionship of people, right? And we feel like the people that I'm speaking with are real people, And, and there's a back and forth between me and these people, right? Um, and I enjoy that communication. But when it comes to God, maybe I find it difficult. Maybe my faith is weak, and I don't really feel like God is hearing my prayer, or I can't hear the voice of God to hear that there is a conversation, that he is actually speaking to me. So as we mature spiritually, our prayers also strengthen, and we begin to see that yes, God is real, yes, God is hearing me, yes, I can hear his voice, and that prayer is actually powerful, and it really does work, and we can communicate back and forth. And not only that, but we enjoy speaking to God. We feel comfort in speaking to God, and we feel the presence of God, and we can see the work of God working in our lives in a, in a, in a special way, right? And, then, and this is like God's response to our prayer. We have a desire for prayer, and we seek him. Number nine, a desire to make decisions based on God's will and not ours. In Isaiah thirty twenty one, it says, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. Again, letting go of our will, especially when we don't understand God's will is very hard because we all believe that we know what's right. We all have an idea of what my goals are, and the steps that I need to take in order to, fu- to fulfill those goals and it seems clear in front of me a lot of the times but sometimes God takes us in a completely different way he denies us the things that we desire and he says trust me and deny your will and accept my will and we are constantly praying for God's will to be done not my will but your will not my will but your will we're saying that all the time but when it comes time to it it's very hard to accept if, if there's somebody who wants something so much Right, so much fixated on this one desire that they have and God denies it to them, how is it that we can accept that that God doesn't want it so that means it's not good for us? When every part of me tells me that this is good and every part of me says that if I did have it, then I would be much happier than I am now, to trust in the will of God. And this is again part of our growth in faith, a desire to make decisions not based on what I want but on what I feel God is leading me to and based on godly principles. Right. This is, again, a measure of if I'm growing in faith and growing in my spiritual life or not. And then the last one is kind of like um, a general one saying, what, a constant awareness of God's presence in our lives. In Acts 17, 28, St. Paul says, For in him we live and move and have our being. Like everything I do is in the presence of God. Everything I do is with the awareness of his presence. Everything that I do is like he is my companion walking with me all the time. This is constantly being in the presence of God and being aware of his presence. And this is really what you can say prayer is. Prayer is not just talking or standing in a certain way. Prayer is being constantly aware of God's presence and feeling that he is close to me and I can communicate with him at all times. Right? It's not that prayer is just something that I do for a fixed period of time at a certain time of the day. Prayer is my constant awareness of God he is my companion he is my friend he is with me always um, and I'm always aware of his presence so these are the 10 signs um, that we can say of course these are not just I mean this is this is not like an exhaustive list but so we can say what are some of the um, the ways we can measure our spiritual growth the first one we said is hunger to know God and his truth on an intimate level The second is an increasing awareness of sin and the desire for repentance greater reliance on the holy spirit a desire to be used by god on a daily basis a desire to obey god regardless of situation or outcome an increasing faith placing more emphasis on things with eternal value a hunger for private prayer and communication with god a desire to make decisions based on god's will and not ours and then finally a constant awareness of god's presence in our lives so again, spiritual growth is a lifelong process. It's not something that we stops after a certain period of time. And we should, every once in a while, um, kind of sit and examine ourselves and evaluate how my spiritual life has been going. Again, this is not to be something that is done on a daily basis, that we are gonna s- compare ourselves to what we were yesterday. Because you're not gonna be able to see any real trend um, from from day to day. But over longer time frames, we can look at ourselves and say maybe there's something that I need to change. Maybe I need to increase um, some of my spiritual practices. Maybe I need to confess more. Maybe I need to read more. Maybe I need to pray more in order for me to be on track that as I'm growing in my age, I'm also growing um, in my spirit. And spiritual growth is also painful, just like physical growth can be painful. Spiritual growth is painful because you have to cut out things that are difficult to cut. And when you cut out something that you cherish, that you are used to, that brings you comfort, that is not an easy thing to do. We are cutting out these things because we love God. This is our sacrifice to him. We're telling him we are corrupted. We have wicked and evil thoughts. We have wicked and evil desires. But because I love you, I choose to abandon these things. And this is not an easy process. It's not just something that I snap my fingers and it's done. It's a lifelong toil in order to overcome sin. But we do it out of love for God. And if we want to know if we are doing it, we want to know if we are actually achieving it, we look at some of these measures and we say, okay, um, maybe, yes, I'm growing. Or maybe I say, no, I'm not really growing at all. Maybe I need to, to change something. So may God grant us always to grow spiritually and to examine ourselves. Um, any final questions or comments? Yeah. Yeah, so reliance on the Holy Spirit means that I don't rely on myself. So, um, again, sometimes I feel like um, I am the one. Like, why is it that we feel so stressed whenever there's a problem? Right? We feel so stressed because I feel like I am the one who has to solve the problem, I, it's on my shoulders. Right. It's on my shoulders that I have to solve the problem and I feel anxious and I feel stressed um, and I feel overwhelmed. Why? Because I feel like almost like I am alone in it. Who is going to help me? Who is with me? But a person who relies on the Holy Spirit doesn't have to feel that way. They don't have to feel overwhelmed or stressed. They can say, you know what, this is God's issue. Reminds me of a, of a funny story. Um, again, I might have mentioned it about uh, a monk. He was very like saintly monk. I'm not saying that this is going to be what we do, but He's a very saintly monk, and he was uh, in the monastery. His cell, where he lives, it caught on fire, um, and it was burning down. And all of the, m- the, the other monks, they were frantic, and they all tried to like figure out what are we going to do. We need to get water. We need to put out the fire. you know. But this monkey just sat there. He didn't do anything. And then the other monks were like, aren't you worried Like your cell is going to get burned down? You're not doing anything? And he's like, if God wants my cell to be burned, then it will burn. Um, but if he doesn't want it to be burned, and he doesn't want his monastery to be burned, then it won't be burned. And then suddenly the fire quenched. Now, I'm not saying that this is a practical example for us to apply, right, in our life. We should probably try to put out the fire. <laughs> but but this is what reliance on the Holy Spirit is. It's saying, it's not my, like like, let God do his work. Obviously, there is work for us to do. There is work for us. Like, God wants us to do our work. Like, if there's something to be done, do it. But do it in faith. Do it without fear. Do it without anxiety or stress. Because whatever it is that I do, I trust that God is going to do what I cannot do. And so a person who really does rely on the Holy Spirit will never be stressed in their life. Because everything is, is they just trust God with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we can pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing. We ask, O God, that you help us to grow spiritually and to look at our lives and ourselves and to see what are the measures of growth that we have achieved in our life and to evaluate whether we need to make any changes. We ask, O God, for your mercy and your kindness. We ask, O Lord, for you to open our eyes and reveal to us and convict our hearts, O Lord, of the things that we need to do to enrich our lives and to draw closer to you. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints here as we pray thankfully,